Welcome into episode 185 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. The Sources Say Podcast is, as always, presented by our great friends at Justice Dental. You can make an appointment at one of two Lexington locations. That's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Remember that regular dental appointments are important for your overall health. You can learn more and make an appointment at justicedental.com. Dr. Justice and Dr. Thompson look forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined once again by the one and only Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country. Sean, how the heck are you? I am fantastic, Jack. How are you? Oh, just peachy on this uh, beautiful Thurby afternoon. It is uh, the Thursday before Derby, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. And uh, we got some, you know, not a ton of news to discuss about Kentucky basketball and, you know, recruiting and and all that stuff in terms of news, but a lot of scuttlebutt behind the scenes, a lot of questions that uh, fans want answered. We asked for some questions on Twitter and a ton came through. I think we got almost 70 questions that came through. I think 65 was the last I checked. Um, but there's one thing, Sean, that I think we need to start the show with, and that's uh, the fact that uh, Kentucky very likely is going to be adding a commitment from three-star guard, Adu Tiro, who we talked about briefly on the show, uh, I mean, almost immediately after the basketball season ended in, in March. Uh, so we're going to start the show talking about him and just kind of how we got to this point. Uh, and then I think we're just going to go straight into the questions because it's a lot of you know roster construction questions about who they could add uh some questions about you know jay lucas's departure and who you, kentucky could be adding which that's still completely completely up in the air uh but i figure sean it's best to just kind of get the news out of the way and then just go go straight into questions so let's jump right in a hero who is uh out of the northeast has set a commitment date sean he visits Kentucky takes an official visit last weekend to, to Lexington. Things go extremely well. I talked to him after uh, the visit. It you know could not have been more glowing, uh, positive about his trip to Lexington. Uh, and then he immediately schedules a commitment date. He's going to be committing on his birthday and Mother's Day, which is this Sunday, May 8th. Uh, so, Sean, let's just jump in. What uh, your thoughts on the possibility of Kentucky adding a a three star commitment in the class of 2022? I'm I'm fine with it, honestly. I think when you're you're talking about what John Calipari's done at Kentucky and and you know whether their developmental pieces or their first round draft picks after one season, I'm convinced that if you're going to add to your roster and you're going to add late and you're wanting to use scholarships, you know, why not look at a kid like this and, and take him, you know, he's he just now got elevated to a three-star prospect. Is that more so to do with Kentucky? Is it more so to do with him? I mean, there, there's a lot. Now that's actually in our questions, I believe mm-hmm. when I was going through there, but to me, this is the perfect way you fill your roster out. And I've always been a big fan of filling your roster and taking quality pieces, not only just taking walk-ons as practice bodies, but get a guy in there that's six foot five and can play a little bit. So I'm I'm a huge fan of it. And two, on the other I mean, side like, of it, you don't know how these kids develop. Like Dominique Hawkins, Derek Willis were in that same mold. By the time they were late in their career, they played really key roles on good basketball teams. You, you don't know with him, like if he gets to Kentucky, does he kind of just develop and does he play sooner than what we think he does? I mean, going into this year, I would say he's probably behind all those other guys in the backcourt, but you never know when you get on campus. If you if you outwork some guys and your skill set, does he still grow a little bit? I don't know. 
Yeah, so, I mean, this is a dude that averaged 23.3 points, 10.3 rebounds, 5.9 assists, 3.9 steals, and 2.3 blocks per game as a senior at Quaker Valley. Uh, so, I mean, super well-rounded, clearly the best player on, on his team as a senior, hit 52% of his shots, 29% from three, which I know Kentucky fans are going to groan at, say, oh, another John Calipari point guard that can't shoot the ball. Let's, you know, let's again, remember who we're at, who this is and, and kind of where things stand and, and who he would be on the roster as a long-term project piece, as opposed to an immediate impact guy. Let's not get too dramatic about that, but look, this is a dude that has grown 10 inches between his freshman and senior seasons from five, seven to six, five. Uh, I think he's grown six inches in the last year alone. Uh, people I've talked to up in the Northeast have said that they still see him growing, could see him end up being, you know, six, seven, six, eight range, uh, that he's still clearly growing. A very high intensity, defensive minded guy. A lot of stuff, you know, I saw somebody respond in our comments about, you know, maybe a, a taller Dominique Hawkins. I think it's a great comparison in terms of a guy that, you know, if, if Cal needed him to come in day one and be a high energy defender, uh, that's exactly who he could be from day one. If you needed him to do something on the floor, but in terms of what he can bring offensively and who he is as a long-term piece, he's a guy that he's going to come in and work on his game, be a, a high-end practice piece, and somebody that I think could definitely make a difference. I've talked to a lot of people that know his game, that have seen his development, that really think he can be a, a, a piece, a productive piece here at Kentucky here in a couple of years, not just a, you know year four senior, you know, kind of Derek Willis type guy that doesn't really see a lot of production until later on in his career, that he could kind of be a plus and play dude from day one as a defender and then kind of grow into himself as an offensive piece and then year two year three and then certainly year four uh he he can definitely be a high level guy and i think those guys as you said sean uh, what does it hurt you have available scholarships you have empty bench seats uh that you know we've seen depth issues we've seen injury issues just as as recently as the past year there's nothing negative uh, about adding a dude of this caliber three-star kid, long-term development guy, knows exactly who he is, you know, legacy recruit. His dad played uh, under John Calipari at Memphis and Almami uh, Tiro. So the connection is there. It's it's a cool story, cool narrative, and a very nice piece to add, Sean. Yeah, I think so. And when you're talking about a guy that, you know, at one point was 5'7", and is now up to 6'5", maybe pushing 6'6", and a late bloomer, right? There's there's nothing wrong with being nothing wrong with being a guy that kind of blooms late and gets on the you know arrives on the radar or late in his senior season and and things like that. Obviously, Kentucky has been to watch, so they they know his game, they're familiar with his game, and, and obviously they they see something that they like there. If he's definitely a take, and that was what we were trying to figure out when it first happened, because we were we weren't even aware that anything was going on, and then the offer comes, and then we start wondering, okay, is this a is this a scholarship? Is this a preferred walk on? To me, a lot of people are going to talk right now with with the frustration of how the season ended, and they're going to say, "Wow, so this is how Kentucky is stooped, you know, and and fallen." Is it they're taking a three star kid, pretty much playing it off as is that as a silent commitment, things like that? I look at it more as a you're you're not getting a guy that's going to scare anyone else off, but you're getting a guy that you bring him into your program, and if he continues to develop and he's good athlete and uh, works on his game, that is making a commitment to your program. Uh, Lance Ware right now, you know, the portal deadline passed and Lance will be back at UK next season. And Lance was obviously a, a much higher rated player, but he's been a long-term piece as well, a developmental piece in your program. Those guys are good to have around Jack. And if this is what Kentucky gets out of this is a long-term 
piece that maybe not right now is ready to make an impact, but let's say the way this roster and there's always going to be turnover at Kentucky, you get a guy that's committed to your program and knows it for multiple years and develops into a steady role player. I like the move. Yeah, and that, that's a question Hunter Sciarella asked with the Dutier likely committing. What type of ceiling as a player does he have and whose game does he remind you all of? I, I think he's a type of dude that fits that in, not in terms of you know play style, uh, but just you know, in terms of role and what he means to the program, think guys like Dominique Hawkins, think guys like Darius Miller that are kind of you know long term, slowly, gradually improving year by year type guys that by the you know by the end is he a starter? I mean, maybe I, I don't you know if Darius Miller can start for this program. I don't know why a guy like a Dutiro can't come in. Similarly ranked, uh, it helps that he guy. has the size. It helps that the six five six six frame that helps right being a bigger guard under John Calipari. Yeah, and when you're known for your defense first, I've a lot of you know film I've watched and people I've talked to that really know his game said you know he's a chase down artist, he's a specialist as a shot blocker, and you know the long kind of athletic guard. Those type of guys, Cal plays like that's a guy that if you defend, you go in and you work your butt off. That's a guy that John Calipari plays, and that's just that's just who he's always been. He is always more inclined to bring in a defensive-minded guy that he knows won't be a liability on that end of the floor rather than a, a pure offensive specialist, as we've seen as recently as this past year. Guys like Dante Allen and, and you know Johnny Juzang and Jamal Baker. You're more inclined to get clock with, under John Calipari if you're going to go in and bust your tail on the defensive end uh, as opposed to being able to knock down a jumper or two. So I think just from that perspective alone is why I think there's a, a an outside shot, maybe not a significant shot, uh, but that he could be kind of a day one, uh, you know, five, ten minute off the bench type guy. Well, and, and it adds depth to your roster. And talking about all the injuries, I hate to keep rehashing all that that happened this past season, but you know, Kentucky got to a point there where you're starting to wonder you're going to start dipping into walk-ons, you know, when it comes to, yeah. you know, who's available on your roster. And it, this, we know that a Dutero, a Dutero is a better option in those practices than a walk-on. Like, clearly, I mean, he's got D1 offers. He's got D1 size. He, he can pass the ball. He can score the ball. Obviously, needs to work on that shot. A good defender. Is he going to grow to 6'7"? I don't know. I know there was some talk there that still possibly a, another inch or two from some things that I've read about him. I, I want to see him in person. I want to see more film and things like that. But uh, if this is indeed a take and that's the way that it plays out, and it certainly seems to be pointing that direction, I'm a fan if this is a new thing that Cal does late is kind of look, and it doesn't have to be late, but uh, I'm a fan of it where you kind of see what you've got on your roster. You see what's in the portal. You say, all right, this is a kid that I'm familiar with the family, coached his dad. He knows what I demand and what I need and what I see. And I'm a fan of it. If you get someone that's committed to it, do it. Yeah, and there are a lot of questions about, you know, what happens next. If if Kentucky does add a Dutero as expected, what comes next? Is there another reclass option or there are other transfers? Uh, you know, there are a lot of different people uh, on this list that, are asking about it, you know, people asking about Patrick Baldwin. Uh, Ryan Roberts says, is there any possibility that we hire Pat Baldwin and Junior comes here? Um, Trey Phillips asks, with the possibility of the addition of, of, uh, of Adu, does Cal look for one more player to join the fold? Uh, and then he also asks, who would win in a game of one-on-one, me or you, Sean? And we'll we'll answer stuff like that at the end. I think that's, that's pretty funny. But um, Garrett Hollenbach, is there any chance for Kentucky with Patrick Baldwin or Matt Mayer? 
Um, Wesley Wade, what are the odds we land one more guy after the Tiro commitment? Uh, Garrett Hollenbach again, does Kentucky accept another transfer? So who go down the list, there are a lot of those type of questions, Sean. And I think it's a great question because I do think in an ideal world, Kentucky adds one more piece after a due tiro. I think that they are still looking for that uh, go-to guy. I've heard that they're very high on, um, you know, Antonio Reeves and think that he can be a high-end scorer for this team and maybe take some of that and, uh, you know, worry about potentially losing Shaden Sharp. And we'll obviously talk about him, too, uh, as well. Uh, but maybe not needing a, another, you know, super high end superstar on the wing type guy. But uh, I do think that a guy like Patrick Baldwin is something to keep. I, you know, I know that he's kind of all in on the draft process right now. But, uh, you know, if you listen to some of the national analysts, they say that uh, even though they've put their name in the transfer portal, they are 100,000% set on staying in the NBA draft, which if that's the case, I'm not really sure why they would put their name in the transfer portal, but I know it's all, uh, you know, politicking and semantics and all that stuff. But uh, there are several of those type of names that are hellbent on staying in the draft, doing whatever it takes to get a guarantee from a team while also keeping their transfer options open. And I do think one of those guys could be of, of significant interest for Kentucky should they uh, ultimately decide to come back uh, and assuming Shaden Sharp does not return to Kentucky, Sean. Yeah, this is a situation to follow throughout the entire month of May. Is is there anyone that you know pops on Kentucky's radar and things like that? I mean, clearly with with Tiro being a commitment here soon, that that's uh, that's a May commitment. So I asked you before we started recording, I was like, does this mean that Kentucky's done? And and you don't think so? You think that they're going to continue to kind of leave that door open? And I think that's a good call. Uh, looking at the backcourt. With what they have, it's a really good backcourt. I mean, you, you've got Savir, you know, Kaysen stepping in there. you got C.J. Frederick. you got Antonio Reeves. But I do have some concerns with only having four guards that you feel very good about rolling in the next season. Now, is, is Livingston going to be a primarily a three? Is he going to play some four? Uh, Jacob Toppin, I know John Calipari expects him back. Is he going to play some three, primarily four? Like, there's some questions to be answered there. But when you look at the injury history of Wheeler last year, missing some time, you look at C.J. Frederick's injury history. I hate to bring that up, but it's something we have to discuss here. It feels like you need to have a fifth option. It doesn't have to be a primary guy that that takes a ton of attention, uses the ball a lot, takes a lot of shots, but you need someone else to me in the backcourt that you could at least go to if, if you needed them. Uh, is a Dutero going to be that guy as a true freshman? I don't know. I mean, that's that's something I would probably say no. I'd probably lean he's more of a developmental guy that's a couple years away from getting to that point. Uh, so I, I think that there is a place for someone there to play a role. It doesn't have to be a major role. You don't have to go and get a, a three-level scorer, but go get someone that at least you can get some minutes out of the backcourt if you need them because we saw this past season four guys was not enough. Yeah, and I've always kind of looked at Antonio Reeves as the not Kellen Grady replacement, but the Davion Mintz replacement, a guy that is going, you know, uh, kind of that spark plug off the bench. And I know there's some talk about role and him wanting, you know, minutes and shots and all that stuff. And, you know, there was still some drama about his commitment, what he was looking for when he uh, eventually committed to Kentucky. And I stand 100% behind the comments that I made on the last show about how he got to Kentucky and the, the late process and some of the late issues. Uh, regardless of what you may or may not read uh, on message board talk and, and all that stuff, just putting that out there now. But but yeah, I, I do think that Antonio Reeves in his 
best way is probably a replacement for Davion Manson. You're still looking for, uh, you know, CJ Frederick. Is he going to be a guy that you can rely on? Is he going to stay healthy to be Kellen Grady from day one? I don't know. Uh, or do you think, you know, CJ Frederick can be the Davion Mintz and then uh, Antonio Reeves can be Kellen Grady or, uh, you know, I, I still think that they're looking for that, that go-to wing target. Maybe it's a go-to shooter. I mean, shoot, as of this past weekend, they were looking at Baylor Shireman, uh, you, you know, for that role specifically, that three spot role before he, you know, comes in and starts, you know, asking for all these NIL demands and all that. And they, they have to cut ties, but I, I st- they were, as of this past weekend, even after adding Antonio Reeves, they were looking for that guy. So uh, I don't know why that wouldn't be the case moving forward, assuming one of those type of options. Look, the draft process is still so early. Uh, we still have a whole m- more you know, a whole other month before, um, you know, t- players can can withdraw from the draft. And that process is just so early that you're going to get some guys like Patrick Baldwin, like guys like that who are you know, looking for a first round guarantee that aren't going to get it. And uh, they're going to want to come back and explore their college options. And I think that it would be silly if you're John Calipari to, you know, kind of shut the door on the roster and say, okay, well, I like what we have. I have heard that Cal is very confident about this roster. He said it in various, you know, radio interviews and stuff that he's confident in this roster and where things stand right now. But uh, I do think it, it is absolutely in his best interest. And he knows that it's in his best interest to keep those options open and hope for, uh, you know, kind of a, that go-to scoring wing, assuming Shaden Sharp does not come back. Yeah, and, and we won't know really until these guys get on campus in June and then go through those workouts and then progress throughout the summer how Cal really views this roster, right? Like when it comes to positions, like what's the versatility in the backcourt? What's the versatility with with Reeves? Is it one, two, three? Uh, with, with Livingston, is it three? Or is there going to be a small sample there where they experiment and run him as a small ball four? Like there, there are some questions that I think Cal and his staff will obviously have answered when they get guys on campus and they put them through workouts and they put them through some five on five stuff and see them get up and down. Uh, but you, you want to, you just want to know going into this season that you have all your boxes checked, right? You, you know that if there's an injury to someone and, and that's why I keep bringing it up that it feels like that there needs to be at least one more backcourt option that they feel very comfortable about immediately just because of, of CJ's history. I mean, CJ was injured at Iowa. He missed this entire season at UK. If he is healthy, uh, talked to a coach when I was in, I don't know if I said that on this show or not, but when I was at Adidas, I talked to a college coach and they talked about how CJ Frederick's going to help Kentucky and that it would be a significant impact and would have made a huge difference on the roster this past year. We all knew that. If he can stay healthy, play a lot of minutes, and be that that sharpshooter for UK along with Kaysen, to me they have guys that are versatile that can play multiple positions, especially in the backcourt. Now it just means staying healthy, but I would feel really comfortable if they had a fifth guy at that spot that doesn't have to play a ton of minutes, Jack. Maybe it's just 10, 12, 13 minutes, or if there's an injury, can play 20-plus. I know that I'm asking for a lot here late in the process, but I think that that would make everyone feel better if there was a little bit more depth there just with the injury history of a couple of guys. Yeah, and I do, you know, I I guess we have to discuss the latest on Shaden Sharp and what's the deal with that. I know Leonard Miller is a guy that's still technically on the table, even though uh, he just today got approved for the NBA draft in terms of eligibility. Uh, So that's definitely something to keep an eye on there. That's kind of what he's been hoping for the whole time. 
Uh, if not, the G League still remains a very serious option for him. And Kentucky's one of his other two finalists um, joining uh, Arizona for the, those last two schools for Leonard Miller. But uh, I, I still continue to hear back and forth things about Shaden Sharp. I know there's a lot of reports out there that uh, Kentucky is still, you know, kind of anticipating him back slash uh, thinking, you know, family is still telling Shaden or uh, t- still telling Cal that, uh, they're still planning on coming back. Cal telling other people uh, associated with the program that they're still expecting Shaden back. Uh, I, I still heard that this is still a very, very uh, complicated matter, that there's still confusion about if this kid is even 100% eligible for the draft. Uh, that I've still heard that there's pushback coming from you know the agent side of things and and all of that, that this is still a very complicated process that teams are just kind of taking it day by day. The NBA, I've heard it's kind of a dual process of uh, like an, an initial uh, approve that they basically do a, an initial approval for, you know, eligibility is like, a, okay, you're, uh, you're allowed to go into the in, early entrant list and talk to teams and work out for teams, but we're still going to, you know, do a deeper review, things like that. There's, there's so much confusion, whoever you talk to, depending on the day, uh, Sean, I've heard that uh, as of right now, uh, teams are not willing to guarantee that he's a top 10 pick and he's more in that 12 to 14 range, which is that's where some of that uh, he's potentially, you know, telling people that he's still planning on returning to Kentucky, that his parents are still p- telling people that they're thinking about returning to Kentucky, all that. And I've also heard that teams are in love with him in the top five, top six, and that, some, you know, somebody in the six or seven range is absolutely uh, not going to pass up on the opportunity of of drafting him. So, Sean, the the latest with Shaden Sharp is that it's still very much up in the air. Uh, the, the staff is still keeping that door open. They're still working for you know finding a replacement and still looking. To, you know, clearly they went all in on on Baylor Shireman until that process you know failed miserably uh, on his end. Uh, you know, so they're still keeping their options open, looking at different guys and seeing if anybody else is going to. Um, you know, turn turn down the draft and still, you know, explore their transfer portal options and all that stuff. Still very, very complicated. It is a different story every day. I've talked to people on the NBA side of things. I've talked to people on the college side of things. Talked to people, you know, Canadian people that are still think that uh, it's, you know, there's zero chance Shaden comes back, you know, said that this was all been a ploy from day one, that they never had any intent, intention of coming back to school. Everybody you talk to will give you a different answer. So for me to come up with some, you know, fine, you know, final answer of what's going on with Shaden, I'd be, I'd be lying because there's, there's way too much going on and it's difficult to sift through uh, all that stuff. So uh, I am operating under the assumption that he's going to be gone and Kentucky needs to find his replacement. I think that's the mindset that Kentucky is taking right now and uh, you know, be pleasantly surprised if he does uh, ultimately decide to come back. Yeah. You you deal with it later, right? You take, you work what, you work under the assumption that he's leaving. You take care of you right now, and if he wants to be a part of it and he is a part of it, then you handle all the other stuff when it comes down to that situation. But, yeah, here it is. It's still frustrating. You all that are listening to the show, and you're probably frustrated that we're still talking about it. It's been two weeks since all the reports, and then he officially declared for the draft, and here we are still talking about Shaden Sharp like, in the whole situation. Like This is what we wanted to avoid. We kind of wanted to have a clear-cut answer by now and know exactly what's going on. But, I mean, hey, like – the perfect solution to all this stuff that we've been talking about and does Kentucky's roster need to be deeper at guard? Like he is the solution, right? Like that would be the perfect thing. If you, if you add him to the roster, I'm not expecting that. I know you're not expecting that. I don't think anyone listening is expecting that or probably should expect it, but 
it's still a topic. It's still something we have to talk about until we get official word and who knows when that will come. Sean, but I guess I'll ask, does it make you feel any better about the situation or make you a little bit more confident that, you know, maybe things just aren't what they appear to be on the, you know, maybe it's just NBA people going, well, there's no way a kid with lottery potential is going to would ever consider coming back to school if that possibility uh, if the possibility of being eligible and going to the draft was presented to them, you know, does it, does it make you feel better that there still is a lot of chatter that Kentucky is still hearing on their end from Shaden's people that they're still strongly considering a return to Kentucky or do, are you, uh, is it more of a, you know, they're just, you know, trying to be people pleasers and make everybody around them happy and, 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 you know, not yes, men, but it's kind of that, that mindset of, you know, you don't want to be disappointing to whoever you're talking to, or do you think there's a real possibility that what they're saying, the family themselves, what they're saying right now uh, has some, you know, some legs to stand on. Yeah. And I hope I hope I come off the right way when I say this, but not really. I don't think it gives me any more confidence because I think if the situation goes in, in Shaden's favor, then Shaden will be in the NBA next year and not at Kentucky. I think that the family, I think everybody would prefer that, right, on, on that side of the thing. So to me, the biggest thing here is I have a lot more respect for people when they're up front and give you what actually is going to happen. And and right now, we, we know the situation. We know how words have been expressed and how those statements have, I mean, they've, they've been lies, honestly. A lot of things have, I mean, when it comes to, to the whole situation. So I, I can't nothing that they do or nothing that's being put out from that front makes me feel any better because how can you believe anything that's being put out there? Yeah. I mean, it, I have put out there, I've written it. I've said it on this show that uh, the things that, that the handler himself was saying from day one have been complete and utter lies about the process. He flat out told me that he had not graduated and that it was a, a, a done deal that he was coming back to school. And, and I don't know why, anybody would risk this possibility. Why wouldn't he could just go straight to the G league if he didn't want to come here? Well, now it's also come out, you know, talking to people around UK that uh, he was making, you know, upwards of $500,000 in year one too. So it wasn't like he was sitting there and going to the G league uh, and, and making pennies on the dollar. I mean, he was still coming to Kentucky and making significant NIL money while he was driving around in a Porsche, while he was using state-of-the-art basketball facilities so, and practicing, a, you know, under a hall of fame coach, that's a pretty damn good uh, situation to be in. If you're, if you're shaking sharp. So I think that explains part of it, even, you know, that was kind of the, the counter to what Dwayne Washington said when, when he said, why wouldn't we just go straight to the, uh, G League now, well, because you know you were able to come to Kentucky and make five hundred thousand dollars to what amounts to doing nothing for the program. So I'll ask you this: If he doesn't like where he's at, and they decide to reevaluate, is Kentucky the place, or do they, or is there they look elsewhere? Is it a G League thing, or is it something like that, or do you think it is NBA or Kentucky? I think it's NBA or Kentucky. I think, you know, the, the John Calipari has done a phenomenal job of of maintaining that positive relationship with Shaden himself yeah. and the parents themselves. And I don't think that that Shaden is, you know, and I think 
part of it you you, you don't want to blame a kid and you, you'll never want to put him in that spotlight but there is there's some accountability of you know at some point uh, you have to know that you're being taken advantage of or uh, you know understand that the process going on behind the scenes isn't as you know sunshine and rainbows as it, it, it may appear that you know that may be a part of it but i do think that there is a genuine uh innocence with with shaden and his parents like i genuinely do think that they had great intentions coming in they still uh have great intentions going in and i think it's just kind of been a fluid situation that uh the, the eligibility was up in the air the how good he was going to be he comes in and everything i've heard is that he absolutely crushed it in workouts and and you know every chance he got to play pickup he was crushing it and you know late in the year it was kind of a uh really played uh, their hands that, that cal really wanted to play him but Dwayne washington was just not going to budge on that and and uh, you know, I do feel I feel for the kid. I feel for his parents. And I do think that they have had good intentions from the start. And that's kind of the one thing that I just keep kind of going back to is, you know, if if this is a Shaden and his parents decision, maybe, you know, maybe they could come back and go, you know what? Our draft grade right now is 12 to 14. And, you know, I think I can come back and be a top five pick. And that's a lot of money to leave on the table to not to, to not return. But if this is a Dwayne Washington decision, I think it's been done. I know. I, you know, talking to people in the NBA, they have said, you know, scouts and, and just people associated with different different franchises. They've said, uh, yeah, everybody I've talked to associated with Dwayne Washington has said that that he has wanted Shaden to go pro from day one and that all of the, you know, PR BS is BS. Um, so it's kind of one of those. If this is a Dwayne Washington decision, I clearly think Shaden's going to do whatever it takes to go pro. If this is a complete joint decision with parents and Shaden and all that, I, I think the door is cracked. I don't think that it's open. I don't think it's even, uh, you, you know, medium open. I think it's just, you know, it's cracked and, and, uh, it, it's not been closed on either end on Kentucky side or Shaden's end. And I think that's, uh, that's probably the most confident I could be uh, going into it right oh. now is it's, it's at least still a possibility. And and I think John Calipari did an excellent job when he went on with uh, Issel and Pratt the first time a yeah. couple of weeks ago after the, the day after Shaden declared for the draft, you, you could tell that this is a guy that's probably feels like he's been lied to, right? By some yeah. people, but understanding the situation right now that you don't want to burn a bridge and you don't want to shut that off because there's still that possibility, I guess, for in Cal's mind and some conversations with Shaden and his family that Shaden does end up at Kentucky next year. So I thought Cal did a good job that day, kind of building up the situation, playing it off as a positive. And then as this thing progresses and this decision becomes final, that's when I think Cal might say some things that he's been holding back on. Maybe then the situation, but he's never going to go in on Shaden. But there'll be some quotes and some comments, uh, obviously, that he'll get asked about if this thing does work out in Shaden's favor and Shaden ends up in the league and never plays at Kentucky. Cal will be asked questions this summer about it. That'll be the ones that to pay attention to. When this decision is final, then what's he say about the situation? Does he start saying, well, you know, this and this and that? And we know Cal will speak at some point and Cal will say things. Even when he's not happy, he finds a way to get things out there and uh, put something out there in an interview. And you know he'll he'll answer and say something about it. <laughs> well, what, what did he just say about Damian Collins to, uh, on Monday? He said uh, that there were people in his ear telling him that he needed to go find somewhere else and that yeah. he needed to do that. But he made the right decision for him. And it almost kind of had a, not a shot at Shaden situation, but kind of that same idea where there were people in Damian's ear telling him that, 
the path that he was on was not the correct one and wanted him to explore his options and do something different. But he, he sat down with his family, just his parents, and made the, the the firm decision to come back, didn't even explore the draft, made the firm decision to come back to school. And it was it was the right one. It was the, the best one for uh, for him. And, and the wording was very strong on Cal's end, where it was like, we, you know, he ignored the noise. And he made the best decision for him, and that's to come back and be a standout player for us uh, next season at, at Kentucky. And I, it, it almost felt like an indirect shot. And if you if you go back to the first uh, uh, interview that Cal had on Islan Pratt, uh, where he was talking about, you know, we want relationships that don't start on lies, and kind of you know said some things like that. And it was like, okay, clearly has an agenda with what he's saying here. And, and, you know, if you read between the lines here, he's very clearly sending a message about this whole process. Um, so we'll see, uh, Sean, I, th- I still think it's, it's clearly one of the easily the most intriguing situation I've ever uh, dealt with covering this team in terms of expectations and, and what it could mean for a, a team. You know, we've obviously talked about the the potential of this team as is with just, you know, Oscar Sheboy back and all that. But uh, the, the difference of if Shaden Sharp comes back where the possibility of this team having a legitimate national title uh, you know, title t- national title dreams versus, you know, being a high-end top 10 team, a team that could make a run, but just it's just so much hanging on a situation with so much back and forth. Nothing has been black and white with Shaden Sharp's situation in terms of when he was going to play, his eligibility, uh, you know, his his NBA draft status, what his, you know, what his, uh, the the draft returns are, what, you know, the initial scouting reports are from teams. There's just so much back and forth wishy-washiness about this that uh, I, that's why I just think it'd be silly to to think that anything is set in stone with, with his case. I just think it's, it's one of the most unique and, and it, uh, I don't think uh, it's going to get any more normal uh, up until that final June 1st deadline. I think that, Obviously, there, there's going to be one or two more days where I think Kentucky fans are probably frustrated at something they hear about Shaden Sharp, and it's going to be that way until there's an official decision made. And we know that that has to be made sometime between now and June 1st and that deadline. So it, at some point, everyone will be able to move on from it, whether that is he is back at Kentucky next year or he is in the NBA. Yeah, and if only Kentucky's national title hopes weren't hanging on by a thread based on that. <laughs> it's like, well, do you think? Do you think though that? So I guess that brings us to the next thing here. Like, let's just assume that they add a do. Is that a roster that can win you a national title, or do you think that there is a glaring weakness somewhere? to where they need to look elsewhere. I know we're talking about should they add more depth in the backcourt. To me, you add the reigning national player of the year in Oscar Sheboy, who's going to dominate the college game again. Like we know mm-hmm. that he's he's going to do things that not that everyone else in college basketball can't do. We we know that they have a Bob Cousy award finalist at point guard that if he can stay healthy and they get some shooting, if CJ Frederick can be that stretch guy that spreads the floor for him as Casey Wallace, like is he a better freshman than what Ty Ty Washington was like it with his ability to defend is Chris. I mean, there, to me, this is still a roster that I do think if everything goes in its favor could win a national championship, but that's the thing. Does everything go in their favor? Yeah. And if you go down the list of just the roster itself, Savi Wheeler, probably a better version of himself from last year, just in terms of, 
you know, experience, continuity, understanding the system, trust in him, uh, you know, from a coaching perspective, you know, having a little bit free of free reign, kind of working through his flaws, probably a little bit better version of himself. I think Case and Wallace and Ty Ty Washington are going to be equal value in terms of defense for Case and offense. Ty Ty, maybe just in terms of health. Uh, you know, case in a slight upgrade on that front. You know, Kellen Grady's kind of the uh, the, the question is, uh, you know, if is Kellen Grady being out, can you replace him with Antonio Reeves? Will CJ Frederick be healthy enough to be that guy? Uh, is Chris Livingston going to be your three from day one? And can he provide, you know, he's obviously not going to provide the shooting impact, but he's clearly going to be able to provide better, you know, defensively as an athlete, you know, from a physical standpoint, clearly has the upgrade on that end. You know, and then at the four, Jacob Toppin, I think, is going to be an upgrade over Keon Brooks uh, and his departure uh, going into next season. And then Damian Collins, Callis said, will play a little bit of four as well. I think he's going to be able to step in. And then five, Oscar Sheboy is going to be a, a similar value there. Uh, and then you have those other pieces off the bench, Lance Ware. And, you know, if you have CJ Frederick coming off the bench or Antonio Reeves, whatever, I, I think the pieces are still there, but they're still clearly missing that go-to score, what if, you know, exactly the issue that we saw against St. Peter's or Tennessee in the SEC tournament, when 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 Oscar Sheboy can't be just your lone go-to scoring option and you need somebody else to step up, does, does that player exist on the team right now? Is, is there somebody there that's going to be able to go get a bucket by himself? Antonio Reeves is probably the closest you can come up with. Uh, but is the, but that jump from Illinois State to Kentucky is so significant that can you rely on him being your go-to bucket getter? I don't know. So I think that's kind of the the question, and and I think that's why there's a clear difference between uh, this team being a true national title contender with a Shaden Sharp or uh, or you know an equivalent, or uh, if this is a top ten ish team that that could make a run, but more likely a uh, you know elite eight sweet sweet sixteen level team, Sean. Well, there's there's a thing with this roster that, that I look at too, and and these two guys were on this past roster, but to me now they're going to be more ready to kind of tap into that upside and that potential. Jacob Toppin, I think, is a future NBA player. I do. Do I? Is he going to get drafted in the first round? I don't know, but to me, he feels like a guy that even if he goes undrafted, will find a way to stick in the league with his athleticism his ability to defend multiple positions, things like that. Does he show an improved jump shot? We saw a significant jump in his game from that first season at Kentucky to this season. And now John Calipari says he expects him back. We've not got anything official on him yet, but it, let's just assume that he is coming back. That is a guy that, and this is no offense to Keon Brooks, but I thought all along that Jacob Toppin should have been playing more minutes. Yeah. Now it's going to be him at that spot. Uh, is Chris Livingston primarily going to be a three? Will he get some run as a four? Like, I think Calipari is going to have some flexibility with some guys on this roster, but to me, Toppin's going to get the first shot to do whatever it is at either position. More extended minutes for him, a longer leash for him, I think helps him tap into some of that potential. The same thing can be said for Damian Collins. We know the reason he was rated so highly out of high school. It wasn't because of what he was going to be at Kentucky this past year because we all expected what happened at Kentucky as a freshman. We were talking about it last fall, last summer, even after Iverson last year when we, you and I saw him. Now, if he gets minutes, he can tap into some of that NBA upside and potential. That, to me, is the difference. You you have guys back that are very good players, All-American, 
Koozie Award finalists. You've got McDonald's All-Americans coming in, but you also got a couple of dudes on your roster that if it clicks and it figures out and they get the right situation, there is some NBA potential and some upside for some of these guys to develop into those pieces as well that I don't think we're ready or maybe given the environment to do it this past season. Yeah, and I will add that Alstair Grunwald asked the question, what is your level of concern that Cal will feel obligated to give big minutes to non-shooters? Oscar Collins, Toppin, Livingston, and Wheeler, and will once again compromise spacing. And I do... I'm a little concerned about that, and I do agree that that is kind of where we're trending, and that's kind of what I'm going with, that you're you're still short one go-to score, one go-to reliable shooter. Uh, I do think that that Livingston is going to be fine as a shooter. I think he might be, you know, that 33, 34, 35% range from deep. Um, you know, Damian Collins, I think, will be able to knock down a three or two. Jacob Toppin, I know that's going to be the one thing that he's working on all offseason is, you know, his jump shot and, and developing some consistency on that front. Uh, so, but, but yeah, I, I do think that that is something to keep in mind, Sean, is that uh, right now the, the guys that you kind of feel like you have to rely on, you know, Case and Wallace being added to that group as well. But, you know, Savvy Wheeler, uh, Chris Livingston, Jacob Toppin, Damien Collins, and Oscar Sheboy, really not a whole lot of go-to shooting and scoring from from that group, uh, at least from a you know per- perimeter-oriented expect- uh, yeah. Uh, expectation. Yeah, you need C.J. Frederick to stay healthy. You need Antonio Reeves to be close to matching what he did as a junior at Illinois State from deep. And then yeah. Kaysen Wallace to be – a consistent threat. Savir improved his three-point percentage in his year at Kentucky. He took fewer it attempts, didn't. and I, I think that that's a thing. Uh, you don't want to see, you don't want to see his attempts go up. Maybe if it does, it's a it's a slight increase. But continue working on that shot. We know that that was something he worked on, getting that thumb off the ball, uh, that right hand. So maybe that's a, a guy that maybe just ups it one or two, maybe three percent. I don't I don't know, but. Uh, and then Damian Collins, you mentioned that stepping out and hitting a couple of threes. How far does he expand his game along with Jacob Toppin? Like this, this is a roster that if it's healthy, you see shooters there, but you can't lose a Frederick. You can't lose a Reeves. You, you need both of those guys to be there the entire distance. And uh, you were talking about who replaces the Kellen Grady role. There, there's a mix when it comes to how we talk about Kellen Grady and how he was used under Cal this season. There'll be some people that'll say, he passed up a number of shots, and then there'll be the other crowd that says that Cal never ran any offense for him. Uh, so I think you're somewhere in the middle there. Some people feel like he got pigeonholed. I don't know. I do think that there were a ton of attempts that Kellen passed up that he should have fired. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think that, to me, Reeves is a better guy with the ball in his hands than what Grady was. I don't know. We're talking about does he replace Mintz? Does he replace Grady? I hate to kind of get into specifics and – talk about individual guys and so, okay, he's the guy that has to replace this piece. But it it feels like Reeves with the ball in his hand can create a little bit better than those two guys could. And and maybe can – I don't want to say shoot it better than Grady because Grady still finished way up and above 40%. But but Reeves feels like a guy that can kind of go go get his own. He has some good size at 6'6". I like the pieces they have. It's just I hope that Frederick is a guy that's 100% there for it and can stay healthy because, Jack, I'll tell you now, the way C.J. shoots the ball and the way that he shot it at Iowa, that's going to be a 46%, 47% three-point shooter that you add to your roster. That's a big deal if he stays healthy. Yeah, and I think he's underrated as a defender as well, and I think he's a dude that he's going to work his butt off. Every conversation I've ever had with him, with his family, 
is that that is a dude that you will have to physically take him out of the gym. He is not going to let anybody outwork him. And that's something that he's super excited to show, you know, once he gets healthy. I think the only complaint and worry that you have about C.J. Frederick is going to be health. And it's a significant one. It's one that uh, he will have to prove who he is on on that front. And and I think that the concerns uh, are valid because we have seen him miss more time than he's actually played uh, at this level. But when he has been on the floor, he has been just sensational as a shooter, you know, a, a coin flipped type shooter, a fit, you know, close to 50% type shooter, uh, those type of guys play. And, and to, if, ideally that's the guy that you replace with Kellen Grady, or uh, even as your Davion Mintz guy off the bench. And then Antonio Reeves is your, your, you know, your wing go-to scoring wing threat who can create for himself and all that. Um, so yeah, we'll see. Um, want to kind of keep going through some of these questions because we are kind of tight on time, but there's a lot of stuff that we got to get through and a lot of different questions that, that, uh, you know, fans were asking a lot about the new assistant coach replacing Jay Lucas, LG Thomas, any, any rumors on who will be the next assistant coach, uh, Eddie Rudolph, any word on a replacement assistant coach, Dusty Thornsburg, have you heard any, any <laughs> names of potential candidates to replace Jay Lucas? Uh, you know, go down the list. It's a lot of different people asking about it. And the uh, short answer to that is no, Sean, there is absolutely nothing about whispers of who, like what's interesting is last year, right around this time in this process was when you started hearing that Chin Coleman and, and Orlando Antigua were clearly, well, first it came out that Kentucky was going to do something about Tony Barbie and Joel justice. Like that was a, a, Done deal. Those two would not be on the staff. No matter what, they're going to find somewhere else to land. Uh, Cal's going to find two replacements for those two dudes. That was a guarantee. No questions asked. Uh, Everybody knew at this point in time that that was going to happen. And then shortly after, that's when you started hearing the rumblings about about both Chin Coleman and Orlando Antigua were returning to the staff. As of right now, there's not even a single whisper of who could that uh, that replacement be. I know that they want to stay young, uh, and I know that's something that they have to do. That's what we said on the last show about when when Jay ultimately decided to leave. They have to stay young. They got to get somebody that's you know well connected, that knows how to talk to these kids. A great recruiter, uh, you know, kind of giving some life to this program that that needs it right now. Uh, I definitely think that's at the top of the priority list. But I think that they are absolutely silent about the names that are being thrown around right now outside of what the kind of general idea of what they're looking for. Uh, the, the names themselves are just not uh, popping up as of right now. And I think that's uh, uh, a clear uh, push on Kentucky's end to uh, keep things as in-house as possible. You're not hearing a single whisper of, uh, of potential names of interest. Yeah, and I would say it's been a week today or a week tomorrow. So that happened last Friday. That was the Friday afternoon news dump that just continued to dump news. It felt like throughout the evening, Keon hit the mm-hmm. portal. There were multiple things <laughs> happening on Friday. It, it feels like that you probably won't get anything maybe in the next few days, but it seems like next week is where you would think that some candidates start to pop up. And and this is a move that I do think that Cal – needs to get a jump start on. They need to kind of get this guy in place and get it figured out. That way they can hit the trail and, and get on the phone and start recruiting for you because we know that as it stands in 23, there's a lot of work to do. They have Reed Shepard. We know that they feel good about some guys there. They've been recruiting some guys for a while. We know DJ Wagner, but they, they definitely need to get somebody that can help you pick up the slack in 23 and kind of keep that ball 
uh, rolling and the momentum moving in the right direction with uh, Chen and Orlando and Cal. So feels like uh, something by mid-May would be uh, ideal, right? Like you don't want to stretch into late May and then get into June. You want this thing to be in place here in the next couple of weeks, especially uh, as you get throughout some of these uh, these periods of recruitment throughout the summer. Yeah, and, and I do want to kind of add that uh, Kentucky was very close to having to replace two assistants this offseason. I had heard – um, you know, at the EY, there were whispers of it, you know, kind of way back when, but, um, Missouri came hard at Chin Coleman and, and offered a formal offer. And, and that was something that, uh, they pushed hard for and, and Chin turned that down. And that was definitely something that, uh, would have created quite the hectic off season for, uh, for Cal to have to replace two more assistants just a year after doing the exact same, uh, having to, you know, add Chin Coleman and, and Orlando Antigua to, uh, you know, follow that up by replacing Jay Lucas and Chin Coleman would have been a, a pretty significant uh, hurdle for, for Cal and would have kept him busy in a time that, you know, draft decisions are so prominent and, you know, transfer portal and all that stuff. Uh, so that that's definitely something that, uh, you know, kind of keep in mind that that there are other schools that were you know looking at chin to see you know kind of what his interest would be and all that and a formal offer was made by missouri uh one that he ultimately turned down so i definitely think that part is interesting as well um going down the list um you know a lot of people there's this there's this one um draft time in schultz 25 said why was uk never interested in imani bates uh, Sean, why do you think that Kentucky was not interested in Amani Bates? I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> to me, that's uh, one where there's just there's a ton of talent there, and we and we know that if it all comes together, that ranking that he was coming out of high school, like we we know the talent that's there. It just kind of feels like maybe the circus that comes with it, and some things. I think that maybe we we know who, how John Calipari is. We know how the staff is. I mean, you're seeing it now with NIL that if there's demands and there there's things there that they don't like, they're not even going to experiment and even look and even, I guess, even enter, entertain it as a take. So that this feels like a program that even though that the, the era is changing and there's things that are changing and developing around the game, John Calipari is still going to be John Calipari and he's going to make you check off all these boxes that, that qualifies you as a candidate, I guess, uh, or a, probably a better word, you know, as a prospect for this program and you got to be checking off all those boxes. So I don't know if maybe the, just kind of they looked at the thing at Memphis and maybe the way the style of play and how he'd want to be used and what he's wanting out of his game and Cal envisioned something else. Maybe that kind of kept him away from it. Yeah, and I, you know, he's going to end up at Louisville, and that's going to be a huge, huge storyline whenever Kentucky inevitably takes on Louisville uh, later next year. Um, but I, I think it's a great idea on Kenny Payne's part. I think it's a high, a, a, a high reward, low risk scenario on his end where. You know, you couldn't get lower stock with Imani Bates right now, just kind of who he is as a player, his the perception around him, his draft stock, all that stuff is just absolutely non-existent right now. And if and if Kenny Payne can bring him in and turn him into a lottery pick, turn him into, you know, even just a semblance of kind of the buzz that there was around him, you know, people were talking about him being the next Kevin Durant, Sean. So if Kenny Payne's able to bring him in and kind of just kind of uh allow some of that that potential and buzz to resurface again with him and, and turn him into uh, you know a first round draft selection i mean i think that would just pay off you know do wonders for that louisville program and really kind of kickstart their recruiting efforts and uh, you know kind of on that note a lot of questions about dj wagner uh, the latest with him 
you know, Kentucky's chances with him, where all the Louisville buzz came from, trying to find some of the names. Uh, Scott, Kentucky Scott says, what drove the Wagner UofL prediction speculation about Milt or substance? Seems Milt could join an administrative role uh, when Branham picks UofL. That one concerns me. Yeah, uh, obviously when Branham makes a, a statement like that, it's a pretty significant one. He does not just guess. He he actually has things of, of substance. As I said on this show, uh, that ended up coming to fruition, you know, talking to people that know Milt and kind of what he's, you know, what he's thinking. Uh, Milt was not interested in joining as an on, on court uh, coach, at least, you know, unless the offer was just something he couldn't pass up. He would prefer to kind of manage DJ uh, from, you know, kind of the sidelines and, and kind of stay out of the spotlight a little bit. I think Kenny Payne was very hesitant about adding him as a, you know, just from a circus perspective, you know, kind of going all in on one recruit that they are very high on. They love DJ and all that. Um, but I, I definitely do think that that was just something that it didn't, it wasn't a fit. They, the, the move that they made to hire that night, that guy with Oregon who had the Nike connections. I definitely think there's a lot of stuff going on with that one that could p- pay off, uh, you know, long-term for, uh, them in terms of, you know, m- maybe a, a switch from Adidas. And, you know, I, there's a lot of talk about Jordan slash Nike trying to make a push for, for them. And that could kind of be the step one of that. Uh, that's that's definitely something of substance, but I definitely think the um, a lot of the DJ Wagner stuff was tied into Milt Wagner, and you know if he could add, on, he cannot join in an administrative role in Kentucky and Louisville still be able to add him. So if you're wanting DJ to come to Kentucky, you want Milt Wagner to be joining in an administrative role because that would mean that uh, he could not go to Louisville uh, due to NCAA rules. So uh, if you're uh, uh, rooting for something, root for that. But I definitely think that. The, you know, kind of Louisville talk, it was definitely more out of uh, just because it was so fresh and something new and something to hold on to. Because, I mean, literally DJ has been a Kentucky lock, deemed as a lock since he came out of the womb, since he, since John Calipari took that Kentucky job. Uh, people have seen DJ Wagner as a lock to Kentucky, the relationship that he has with, uh, you know, with the Kentucky staff and, and John Calipari. Obviously, you know, talking to Dewan at, at EYBL, he says that Kenny Payne's my uncle and that we have, you know, a family relationship and all that. But Calipari is still Calipari and the relationship is still what it is. And uh, I just I just don't envision a scenario where John Calipari will lose that recruitment. Like, I just don't like I just I have continued to say that, like, I do think that the buzz is more significant for Louisville in recent weeks and months just because it's the new kind of, you know, fresh thing to to think about and talk about. But I think when push comes to shove, this is just not a recruitment that Cal's going to lose. And I, I think that's something to keep in mind. I think he, his career is coming to a close. Cal's is. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if he kind of pushes all of his eggs in this year's basket to kind of build a title contender around Oscar Sheboy um, and then kind of does whatever it takes to land DJ Wagner, kind of the circle of life, sign, you know, one of his former stars at Memphis, sign his son and kind of go out with a bang. I would not be shocked at all if that's, you know, something that unfolds in his eye in in, uh, in his case. But. Yeah, I, I definitely think the DJ Wagner uh, recruitment, Sean, is not necessarily a make or break thing for John Calipari, but I think this is one that he is, it's very personal to him. And uh, I, as much noise as there is about Kenny Payne and Louisville, 
I, I just have a hard time believing that Cal is going to lose this one. I, just knowing the history behind everything and, and kind of what's being talked about behind the scenes, it just feels very, very difficult to envision a scenario where DJ Wagner wears a Louisville jersey. Yeah, and, and that's one, too. People, I've had some people ask me how I feel about it, and I said the exact same thing. It feels like one that has been in the works for years with the relationships on, on that side with Cal that they're so strong when it comes to Dewan Wagner and what Cal Perry did for, for him and for that family and, and, and that impact that it just kind of feels like it's destined for DJ to be wherever John Calipari's at and that, that being at Kentucky. And would I be worried if Cal were to lose DJ Wagner? Yeah, it would be very concerning to me, especially with all the other things, what it feels like right now. And obviously there's a lot of questions about whether Cal's lost his touch with things. And if he's out of touch with the way the game's played, there are some things that are happening that do concern me. I mean, losing Jay Lucas to to Duke and and stuff like that, that's concerning to me that this late and uh, where you are with, with John Calipari and trying to get back to a Final Four, trying to win another national championship. If you lose DJ Wagner, especially to your rival in Louisville and to your former assistant, Kenny Payne, I would be concerned. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I'm with you. I think that there will be some buzz there. I think it'll be back and forth. The talk will be there. But in the end, it just really feels like that this is one that it's just too strong with relationships and, and that commitment and everything that Cal has been for that family for him to go anywhere else than where John Calipari is at. Yeah. And, you know, bow to coach Cal um, says, if we miss on Wagner, but get Dillingham, how disappointed will you be Jack? And I had another question, uh, see if I can find it about, you know, D, the, the kind of DJ versus uh, uh, Robert Dillingham dynamic and why they won't play together. And, and, um, LG Thomas asked, what is the deal behind Dillingham and Wagner supposedly not wanting to be on the same team? I don't, it's not even necessarily a, a personality clash thing. That's definitely, it's just a playing style, uh, two very, very ball dominant guards that, you know, Robert Dillingham's a, you know, guy that likes to dance around and kind of, you know, very playful basketball player, very talented, uh, unbelievable talent that I think is going to be a very high level player at the next level. But, uh, I, I just think that in terms of playing style, those two just i'd really have a hard time believing they could coexist just you know from a a personality standpoint what just their their playing styles it's just not a real uh great fit uh between just kind of what they're both looking for at the next level i definitely think that they're kind of playing that very delicately kind of in uh, similar to uh, a Derek lively in a dem bonus scenario where they're talking about bringing them both in while also yeah, you know, kind of just uh, keeping them both warm, hoping that you land at least one of them. They, Kentucky didn't land either of Derek Lively or Dembono, which definitely uh, makes that suck. But I think it's kind of a similar scenario where they're talking about them potentially playing together and kind of keeping them open to that idea, while also making it very clear that we got to get at least one of these kids, preferably DJ. That's obviously Cal's priority. That will always be Cal's priority while also making it clear that Robert Dillingham, you know, if something happens with DJ, he goes to Louisville, he goes somewhere else, he goes, you know, pro, whatever, that Robert Dillingham knows that he has a home in Lexington because they're very high on his game as well. Uh, I like Robert Dillingham a lot, but uh, clearly, Sean, uh, DJ Wagner is the prize of that class. Yeah, he is. Do you see any chance that both of them, or do you think that it's a one or the other type deal? Yeah, I definitely think it's it's one or the other. I mean, just in terms of playing style, I just don't yeah. know how you can you know how how you could get both of so, them in because they're so ball dominant. So how how do you feel if if it's DJ, and then how do you feel if it is Dillingham? Like, do you have any kind of 
like you've seen them both play. I have not got to see both of them in person. So play it out for me. If if it, if it's DJ, how do you feel about it? And if it's Dillingham, how do you feel about it? And obviously you need to know the other pieces that go with it, but to lead your backcourt, to lead your attack, like how would you feel about either one of those guys? Do you think that there's a significant difference in how Kentucky, Kentucky's success would be with either one? Uh, I, I just think it's kind of what you're hoping for out of the two, what you're looking for out of the two. I think uh, DJ Wagner is more polished and more controlled and, you know, definitely a safer pick. Uh, I think maybe the floor is higher with DJ than Dillingham. I think, you know, Dillingham might have more star potential because he's just kind of has that, uh, you know, exuberance to him. He's kind of just kind of got that, you know, intensity and, uh, you know, he's skinny, 6'1", 145 pounds Dillingham is, and and I, I do have those concerns. Uh, but in terms of just a flashiness and playmaking ability, I do think that Dillingham is is um, the second to none in that class. But I do think DJ has firmly kind of se- separated himself. I had a lot of concerns. I've said my concerns about DJ on this show, but I think he's looked phenomenal uh, to start his EYBL season. Uh, his, his shot is falling. The mechanics are much more... Uh, you know, fluid and sound than they were last year. That was my biggest complaint about him. I just had a very hitchy jump shot, and I was worried about how that would translate to the next level. So uh, I'm definitely, definitely higher on DJ than I am Robert Dillingham right now. But I think they could both play, and I think Kentucky could be very good with either of them. Uh, but I just think that a, be, from a, being a safer bet standpoint, I definitely think that uh, DJ is that guy. Um, but you know, I, would like them both. I just, I, it'd just be very difficult to see how those two ball dominant players could coexist, uh, with each other, but you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I, I just don't envision that scenario. Yeah. And to me, the, to me, the bigger statement would be landing DJ. You're that that's the one that Kentucky fans have had their eye on for a while now, right? This isn't just something that's happened in the last seven, eight, nine months. Like this has been one, that we've all circled and said that relationship, it's 110% John Calipari, and you, you go get a guy like that. And I think that that makes a loud statement to, you know, that, hey, look, we're still Kentucky. We're still, I'm still John Calipari. These relationships that I've built, built through changing lives and stuff, like it is still playing off or still playing out. I, I think that that would be the bigger one. Uh, Dillingham would be a very good player. I think he's a really good talent, obviously, but it, it just feels like that winning the DJ one. Or if you lose it, the negative PR that comes with losing DJ, it, it doesn't – to me, Dillingham doesn't outweigh the negative PR from that, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. And, and, you know, there's there's just a lot of stuff with Dillingham that, that went on behind the scenes during the first recruitment. He privately committed to four different schools, and uh, at least four different schools were under the impression that he was coming to their different programs. And, you know, he's at – uh, you know, Donda Academy, and there's some talk about, you know, the, the transcripts and, um, you know, h- how, if they'll even be declared eligible by the instant, but there's just a lot of stuff going on uh, about uh, about Dillingham that I don't know if that's kind of something that Kentucky would be super. He's clearly talent-wise up there, a top five, top 10 kid in the class, Some someone Kentucky's seriously high on, but uh, yeah, like you said, I just think it, it's a safer bet to go with DJ Wagner, knowing the storyline, knowing the narratives behind it, knowing what it means from a program perspective, from a recruiting standpoint. That's just the guy that Cal has to get. And I, I think that's it, it, that'll clearly be who they go after first and foremost. 
uh, and, you know, prioritize. And if, if he commits elsewhere, then, you know, it is what it is. They'll go after D, uh, Robert Dillingham and, and then just kind of uh, go with the flow from there. Um, want to keep running through these questions, kind of, you know, rounding third going home right now uh, with our show. Um, Dillingham reclass, uh, Jai Doc asks about that. No, uh, again, I said he's 6'1", 145 pounds. I just don't think that's a fit at all. If he were to reclass for this year, again, I like him as a kid, like him as a talent, but uh, he needs as much development as he can get at the high school level. Um, possible replacements for assistant coach and strength and conditioning coach. We did not get to mention this, that Rob Harris uh, was let go from his position at Kentucky, one that we uh, have hinted at on this show. And, and you know, kind of the timing was kind of ironic because, you know, we just said the last couple episodes to close out the year that we were curious why there wasn't enough development from a, you know, strength and conditioning program that guys like Keon Brooks really didn't get stronger and weren't able to finish through contact three years in the program. You know, they lot got they got leaner and they looked better. Um, but in terms of actually being physically stronger and being able to finish through contact and kind of, you know, developing their bodies in that front really didn't see a lot of growth for, on that front. Not a lot of growth with, you know, Damian Collins, Bryce Hopkins was a dude that desperately needed to, you know, cut 10, 15 pounds and, and kind of get leaner and quicker and more athletic. That really didn't happen throughout the season. And you just kind of go down the list. And there were a lot of those questions about, you know, what, what gives, why is this the case? There was obviously the, you know, the Tennessee situation that happened. And uh, I, I was told that there were a couple guys out there that even as late as, you know, late in the season that Cal was, you know, kind of putting feelers out that there were some talk about, you know, other strength and conditioning options that had kind of emerged behind the scenes that Kentucky was kind of flirting with from a distance and seeing what would, what would go on. So I knew that they were thinking about a change of scenery on that front. I just didn't know the timeline, how quick it would happen, but Sean, they're looking for a replacement for the strength and conditioning staff. And they got to hit, uh, they, you know, as much as they have to hit a home run replacing Jay Lucas, they got to hit a home run uh, with a strength and conditioning coach as well, Sean. I think that uh, they got to get somebody that they're going to, you know, you look at the Tennessees of the world, guys come in year one and look like tanks. You know, you got to get a dude that that is going to come in and, and get these guys ready to play from a strength standpoint uh, in, in the SEC to finish their contact. And really, you know, outside of Oscar Sheboy, there really wasn't a physically imposing player on this Kentucky roster. Uh, I, I think that they got to get somebody in that is going to, um, you know, be able to to provide that for this team moving forward. Yeah, those are two important hires that you got to make. And uh, you, you definitely want somebody in there that, and I think we all kind of knew at the NCAA tournament, you know, that the Harris was not going to be returning. I think that was kind of the idea. I know I looked out there and I think I pointed out to you that he wasn't there at all. He wasn't the one that was leading them through pregame warmups. So I kind of got the idea then that there would be a change made. So that's another one that you got to make pretty quick because we know these guys are going to report to campus sometime there in late May, early June to where they'll start doing summer workouts and things. So you, you need to have something in place. And I would expect something – and on both to be announced sometime this month, probably before I'd say the third or fourth week of May. I think you kind of want to have those guys in place and then figure out whether it's a promotion for the the strength and conditioning coach and then a new hire for the uh, obviously the on-court basketball coach. So it feels like two decisions that need to be made relatively quicker than than later. Yeah, definitely. You know, just from a recruiting standpoint, it, it is really valuable to have a strength and conditioning guy in there to, to kind of show recruits what they're going to be getting is, you know, 
as that that is so important guys like dj wagner guys like robert dillingham who did you know that is kind of want to be going to be one of their biggest you know focal points of their recruitment who's going to be able to get me in and get you know add weight and get me to an nba size i mean that's literally the one thing that they're talking about with guys like dj wagner and robert dillingham they got to add weight they got to add muscle they got to be able to fill out uh, and you got to have a dude in place that's going to help them fill out and and you know clearly kentucky didn't think that that person was Rob Harris. I've heard nothing but great things about him uh, as a person and, and, you know, things like that. I, I, you know, wish him very, very well, but uh, you know, again, it's all, there are always times to, to kind of shift things up and change things up. And uh, it's clear that that was one of the first moves that Cal wanted to make this off season. Let's kind of uh, round things up. We'll get out of here with this one. Sean has to punch out. Uh, he has a basketball practice this afternoon. So, uh, he has exited the building, and because he is gone, I'm going to go back to that question that Trey Phillips asked earlier in the show. Who wins in a one-on-one game, me or Sean? Uh, he's not here to argue this, so I'm clearly going to say I am the winner of that one-on-one battle. Uh, I have the height on him. I uh, got a 20-10 and 10 double-double in Rupp Arena just this past off season. So nobody can ever take that away from me. He may be the one that actually played college basketball and uh, actually coaches, but uh, you know what? He's not here to argue against me. So by all means, kick rock, Sean. Uh, with that, let's get out of here. Uh, you can find my work on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. You can find Sean at GBB Country and uh, go find his work at GoBigBlueCountry.com. He uh, puts out phenomenal work and uh, definitely worth your time to go check him out. So with that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Packed Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.